Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Uh, well, good morning. Good, uh, should I say burr? Is that kind of fitting? Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys holding up okay? A little cold. Uh, I love it. I know there's more of you online this morning because of uh, the weather, so we love you. Welcome. Welcome all of you. If you need a Bible, here they're ready, raise your hand and ushers will get a Bible to you and turn to 1 John. We're continuing in our series in 1 John and we're going to be in chapter 2. John, um, uh, the author of this book, was the Apostle John uh, in uh, John's uh, gospel. He wrote that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, note that he wrote it, right? (laughs) Think if I wrote a book, I might pin that in there. Um, So uh, this is John the Apostle. Um, And John was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And remember when Jesus looked down and basically asked John to take care of Mary, his mother. And he did that. You know, know, evidence shows that John and Mary went to Ephesus. up in, there's a map for you showing some of these things, is um, up in the Turkey area, modern Turkey area. They moved up there. And as, you know, Christianity grew, the Apostle Paul was in all this, uh, interacted with Rome. Um, What happened was uh, Rome uh, and uh, Greek uh, mythology, religion, as well as a rising up of some um, Christian, per- perverted, as Pastor Pat mentioned last week, uh, of the Christian doctrine started coming into this area. And if you look over here, it says Asia. There's Asia Minor, Ephesus there. It's just this confluence of the world from the Far East, from Rome, Italy, conversion, uh, Judaism from the South, uh, growing Christianity. And uh, as uh, Ben mentioned last week, and if you hadn't listened to the introduction uh, to this series last week, Pastor Pat and Pastor Ben did a great job. But Ben talked about this pluralistic society that John was writing this. And it's not a letter, it's actually a sermon that was intended to be passed around. So you'll notice when we go through this, it's a, uh, as I was telling the staff, it's a little messy, you know, kind of skips around and repeats some different things, like a good message, right? Uh, And so um, in that is, he writes this sermon to be passed around this area. John is probably in prison, uh, well, prison, um, exiled in Patmos Island, just off of uh, Ephesus there, uh, because he's in trouble. And what he sees is this pluralistic society, all these um, different faiths and religions and the pressure it's putting on uh, the Christians. And he sees Christians being kind of drug away from the faith. Uh, Ben said last week, he goes to the three isms. And those are really kind of birthed out of Gnosticism. And the answer that uh, John, you know, the shepherd's plea, I call it, because he calls himself in the introduction of 2 John and 3 John that he authored, he calls himself the elder. An elder is a shepherd. And so the shepherd's plea is to walk in the light. Walk in the light, walk in love. Last week we uh, talked about the light, Pastor Pat, and he said this, the light is what is good, what is right, and what is known or what is seen. The light is Jesus. 
And so John, as he sees this society breaking down and his brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, his answer is this, walk in the light, live for Jesus. And 1 John's all about a focus on who Jesus is. Well, this book and why I chose it for our series is we're in the same situation. We are living in a pluralistic society. Right? There's all kinds of different ideas and thoughts. In fact, the only idea that isn't accepted in the public square is what? Christianity. You can say whatever you want about Christianity uh, and it's okay. Say something about anything else and you're in big trouble, right? And all the practices and thoughts that come with this pluralistic movement, and you can identify in anything you want. It is a mixed up time. Pat used this word, a perverted mixed up time. And that's what it is today. And so as your pastor, what's the answer? To walk in the light. That's my plea. Walk in the light. So we're going to step into this book and, and a message that is so relevant for us today is to walk in the light. Let's look at Jesus. So today I have to warn you as we step into this message, uh, two things. First of all, we're in 2 John chapter 2. Um, we finished chapter one last week, but I'm skipping ahead to verse seven. So turn there, 2 John chapter two, verse seven. And the reason is you're getting message number three in this series. Why? Uh, because what it addresses uh, is very relevant to our observation of Martin Luther King this week. And you'll, you'll see where it makes sense later. Um, but it really is tied into um, message two, which will be next week. Um, so they're gonna flow real well together anyhow. But 2 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14 is where we're going to be at. And the, the second uh, challenge is there's going to be a test. <laughs> so uh, there's a test in this, and I call it the light test, okay? So we're going to step into a test, but John sets up this test a little bit. So let's read together. 2 John chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 as John sets this up with, uh, he talks about a new commandment. It says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what he's saying is, um, I'm not writing a new command to you. It, it's the same command that you already had in reference to um, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. You know, the story uh, of God in promising Jesus in, in that story. That same covenant is true. What he's getting at is this. Um, it's a consistent story. There's not a new truth. What I'm going to write to you to counter this thing, I'm not going to bring up some brand new truth to counter it. No, it's the same truth that has always been. Capital T truth. God, Jesus Christ, our scriptures. 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new commandment. It kind of sounds a little schizophrenic, right? Uh, but what he's saying is this. I think of new in terms of this. And I've given this illustration before. So you car enthusiasts, uh, enthusiasts you know this is my favorite car is a 69 Camaro. Okay. Um, now, some of you restore cars, right? And they're beautiful. Uh, but it's like uh, a 69 Camaro that's in some field, been there forever, and it's rusty. You with me? You got that picture in your mind? Is that not a 69 Camaro? No, it's a 69 Camaro, right? It's just, uh, the world has kind of polluted it and wrecked it and it looks a little ugly, but it's still what? A 69 Camaro. Until somebody says, wait, I know what a 69 Camaro looks like and that's not it. I knew the real deal. Right? I saw it, so I'm going to restore it. Some of you like to restore cars, right? Uh, the cars of your childhood, right? And then they restore it. And then what? Is it a new car? Kind of. No, it's a restored car. And so the word I like, we look at this new commandment. It's really a restored commandment. It's always been. But here it is now. And the model is Him. It's true in him. He's talking about Jesus. He's the model. You have him. It's true in him, this light of the world. He is what's good. He is what's right. He can be known and seen. He's the light of the world. I love it. And it's true in you. Right? And this is the whole calling of, of all of New Testament to make it true in us. Because Matthew 5 says, we're the light of the world. I mean, in this light of the world, he has to come in and redeem, restore us, shine in us, and then shine out of us. And we are the light of the world. So it's true in him. And he gives this great uh, picture in verse 8, you know, uh, of this uh, illustration, this new dawn, and, and tells us something about light and how we can understand what he's getting at in this passage. And there's two things that he really brings out. First of all is this. He says this, that the light is already shining. You know, the light's already shining. It's there for you. We don't have to wait for it. He's saying it's right here, this new commandment, this restored commandment, uh, the example, the model. It's already shining. He's here. It's this Jesus we've been talking about that you've heard about. It's him. He is shining, and he's fully shining. Everything you need in Jesus is available right now. You don't have to kind of wait for it. It's not progressive, it's now. And there's a second thing, is, you know, the characteristics of light. And there's a picture I want to show you where I really saw this, this truth about light is, um, you know, light is defined as what? The absence of dark. What is dark? Absent of light, right? And it's incredible here. Where there is light, guess what will not be there? Darkness. Yeah, I don't know if you got this picture here. Um, so this is a picture on the right hand. Those two shadowy characters are Sandy and myself. Um, and we are on Orcas Island here, and we're leading a sunrise service. And when I was up there, that's what I would do. Um, I told the uh, first services, I've always wondered because uh, it's closed in this time of year. And so I had a friend that had a key 
And so we kind of snuck in. So uh, I've got to figure that one out and hopefully uh, there'll be grace for us. But we would sneak in there and there's a whole pack of us would go up on uh, Mount Constitution and Orcas Island. And as you look out there, uh, that is Mount Baker. And so we go in the dark of the morning and we just sing and pray and wait for the light. And as you can see, as it progresses here, it just pops up there behind Mount Baker and it's beautiful. But look at wherever the light touches, guess what's not there? Darkness. Everywhere the light touches is illuminated and seeing the beauty. If you've never been to Orcas Island, looked over uh, the San Juan Islands, it, it it's the most beautiful place in the state of Washington and rivals in the world. It is amazing, jaw-dropping. Um, but you can't see it until that light touches it, right? Um, so light is here and darkness is fading because that light's touching it and bringing it to light. And so that brings us to the next part. And this is the hard part for you, okay? Uh, it's a test. Okay, any of you got test anxiety? You kind of feel in your palms be sweaty? Breathe, it's okay, be okay, right? But John's gonna give a test in verse nine, right? I mean, here's what he says, let's read nine through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here's the test, ready? Are you in the light? Are you in the light? I'm hoping that you're like, yeah, I think I am, right? I hope there's some of that going on right now. Uh, here's the bad thing about, uh, uh, in the Christian faith. If you ask somebody, um, we, uh, Christian, they always think they have to answer in the negative because of sin. I'm gonna tell you something. We have a victorious Jesus. You can answer things in the positive because of Jesus, right? Okay, so uh, are you in the light? I, I hope there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you know? Well, this is what John's going to do. John uh, takes us back to elementary school and he gives us a check, right? In elementary school, right? When you do uh, a, a addition and you get to your answer, the, the sum, how do you check if you're right? You do the opposite. You do subtraction, right? You do multiplication. What do you do with the product? Right? You divide, you do the opposite. This is what John does. It's okay. You say you're in the light, great. Now let's test that. Um, whoever's in the light, uh, how does it say, cannot hate his brother, right? So the, the check is this, the opposite of being in the light in Jesus, love is hate. So let's do the opposite. The check is this, do you hate your brother? Do you hate your brother? Now, it's interesting, as I was going through this, this week, you know, I had one of those uh, interesting uh, studies. Um, I got checked big time by the Holy Spirit because, you know, before I was uh, a Christian, I was, uh, I, I was uh, what's the right word? I'm not going to say it. I was a, a, a jerk, 
right? You know, just kind of, you know, a little judgmental, whatever, and just um, and those things, you know, a lot, a lot of critical spirits of people around me, things like that. Um, you know, a little bit of a bully in my uh, younger days uh, in the schoolyard, um, you know, things I'm not proud of. Um, I became a Christian, and oh man, uh, it beautifully wrecked me. I'm a sap now. You know, some of you guys are looking at you, you know, when you're in the faith, you're like, oh man, I kind of remember when I was, felt maybe I was a little tougher, but man, I cry at movies now and, you know, weep over brokenness in people's lives and stuff. And it's just the Jesus has invaded me, that, that light. I love it. And so what I'm thinking about this is, uh, no, I don't. Man, God's done a great work in my life. I, I don't, hey, I, I think I passed the test. And so I, I do what I always do. Um, you know, I, I studied. And, you know, part of my study is always going into the original language. So I started doing that. Um, and I started studying the word hate in the Greek. Remember, the New Testament uh, is written in Greek. And so we are translating it to English. Um, but there is a lot lost in this translation. And it makes this make a lot more sense. And it brings a lot of conviction to me. So to understand what John's saying, we have to ask ourselves and answer the question, what is hate? What is John talking about? What is hate? Now, the English word for hate, right? Let me give you an example. Peter, how are you? Peter, I hate you. You feel that? I, was like, I, I love you, Peter, just so you know, okay? <laughs> Just so you know, that was an illustration. It's super hard to do. I did it in the first service. I was like, ah, I'm still broken. Um, I just want to hug you. I love you, I promise. Uh, that was a, an illustration. But you felt the English word right there, right? It comes with emotion, passion, dislike, right? That's the word that we use in English for hate. So when you read the New Testament and you see hate as an English speaker, what happens to you? Oh, I think of this. So I tell you what, what I just did to Peter, I don't do that to people. I don't hate people with a vengeance and passion, right? So Scott, you know, I can't get an A. I never get an A. So B, I get a B. But if you look at the Greek word used here in the New Testament for hate, maseo, the Greek word maseo, that word does not carry the emotion that the English word does. It's not completely passive, but it's close to passive, right? Simply means kind of no preference. It really, the context of it gives its meaning and quite generally it's pointing to the opposite to say what this is, focus over here, right? Let me give you some examples to understand this is so important for us. Um, Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 26 right? 16, I think it's, I think it's, is it 26 or 16? I can't remember. It's either 26 or 16. I think it may be. Um, so, but this is the right words. Listen to this. Here's a passive example. And a scripture most of us blow right by because we don't really know what to do with it, right? It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not what? Hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So is scripture telling me to hate my wife? No, 
<laughs> Come on. Uh, no. Right? So reading this in English, it, it's a problem, isn't it? You isolate that baby and start living that out. You've got some serious issues. I actually know some, some faults. He sees some cults that prey on this scripture and get families to separate and divide. Right? And so what it's saying, it's passive. It's, you know, it's saying, you know, no, no, your, your preference has to be more what it's talking about, meaning being a disciple of Jesus, of walking in the light. That's the focus here. Over that, why? Because when you do that, it shapes the other. Right? I cannot love my wife to my fullest capacity without Jesus. In my humanness, in an earthly focus, in my sin, uh, it's a love that will be incomplete and insufficient unless I love her through walking in light, through Jesus, right? So hate is passive, no preference. Uh, it's the context that gives it the meaning. Here's an example of that for you. Luke chapter six, verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. And here we go, it's gonna tell, you know, let you know that, hey, yeah, there's this place that it talks about the hate we understand. When they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of Jesus. So see, it gave the definition. Okay, as this place, Scripture talks about that, that hate that we might understand. Yes, it's the context I give it. What does Paul mean here, right? You know, because he's using it uh, because of the context he gives in this passive no preference. So to, to, to understand what he's saying, I'm going to communicate in our now native tongue, and that's emojis, okay? Um, uh, this is how we talk now, don't we? Um, okay, so you'll see these emojis and the pop up, and you're going to notice the one, right? There they are. We use these often. Uh, the one on the, your right is the M, right? M-E-H. Ah. Right? Look at straight, no emotion. It means no concern. Don't even know. Not thinking about it. Right? Maseo, this is what you mean. Um, don't not think about, don't be neutral toward your brother. With a shrug, who cares? I don't know. He's saying this. Don't not care about your brother. Don't just, I don't know, I don't understand that. Say, so, no, you can't do that and be in the light. Welcome to my week. Whew, you know how much I do this? Way more than I want to talk about. I mean, so this is me and the Holy Spirit. It's like, ouch, ouch, ouch. I saw faces. I saw people groups. I saw ideology and these things that I... Uh, just I'm begging. I'm not going to waste my time with that. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to concern myself. I'm going to just drive right on by. Man, and this carries the weight of this test, right? Do you hate? Might I answer for all of us? Yes. Yes. 
and understand why it's so important to John and why he's putting such a strong test on the line. Um, he goes on to say, you know, there, there is, uh, hate has this power and it does great damage to us. And let, let's keep reading. Verses 10 and 11. The power of hate. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Oh, man. Right? And so here's the power of hate. It affects our abiding. You know, and to understand what that word means, you look to John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. Many of you know that. It means remaining, being in, connected. And what he's saying here, it affects you being in Christ. Because where there is darkness, what can't be there by the sheer definition? Light. So where there is hate, you cannot remain. You can't be in Christ. And it might just be an area of your life. Hopefully not the totality, but quite possibly. Where there, you are not in Christ. You are not a disciple of Jesus. You're not following Jesus. You, you haven't put your trust and faith in him. You're not letting him transform and change you into the likeness of Jesus. You're not on a mission with Jesus when you hate, when you, whatever, toward your brother. What the New Testament tells us, right? That our brother, yes, it is our fellow believers, but it's our enemy too. We are to love all people, right? Um, we can't abide in Christ if we hold, harbor hate and allow it there. Stumbling, he talks about. Jesus says he has a mission. Luke, or yeah, chapter 19, verse 10. Uh, Jesus, I've come to seek and save the lost. His mission is about people. It's about people. And when we let hate come in, what happens is we stumble. There's a mission. This is what we're supposed to be about. Um, it's about people, bringing the gospel to them, loving them like Jesus. We start stumbling over hate. And we get off course. We get off mission that we're called to live and walk. And I think that they're all powerful. Then he mentions blindness. When you are blind, what can't you do? See. And what is, what is he talking about? What are you missing? You're missing Jesus himself. The more you allow hate to be part of your life, uh, the more Jesus fades to a place where you can't even see him anymore. You can only see you, uh, the world's ideology, uh, religion, and you don't see Jesus. You're blind to it. It's an incredible cost of what hate does to us. That's why John is so emphatic about this and gives a hard test to us. And today, you know, I want to speak of, this is Martin Luther King's message. He echoes this. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you know, the civil rights uh, leader in the 60s. 
you know, who led the uh, nonviolent, uh, peaceful um, protest against um, segregation and mistreating of blacks in America, our own country. And as I was thinking about this, I started thinking there's a lot of people that don't really know what happened there. To really understand is uh, when he talks about love over hate, light over darkness, uh, where was he speaking of? What was his context? And so uh, understand the issues there. It goes back to uh, our America and slavery was legal and, you know, uh, it was active. And there came a point in time uh, in the 1800s that the Northern states said, nope, this is just wrong. And the Southern state says, nope, uh, it's right. And they went to war. And I don't know if you know how close we came to having two different countries. Sometimes we just talk about the Civil War, but we came this close to having two different countries here in this soil we, we call the United States. They went to war. We know the North won the Civil War. Um, and what they did is they entered into an era called the Reconstruction Era. And what they did is they uh, put three amendments to the Constitution, abolishing slavery, one of them, I think it was the 13th, 14th, and 15th, um, uh, granting citizenships to blacks uh, and the right to vote for black men. Right, women's suffrage would come later. Um, so in that... Um, and the um, now federal military, right, the North one, so came into the South and basically um, made sure all the Southern states were uh, living by uh, these federal laws. It's called the Reconstruction Era. What happened in there is um, some local uh, governments and state governments started enacting laws that would become uh, called Jim Crow laws. And what they did is try to... Um, create uh, segregation um, and, you know, and elements of slavery, sharecropping, different things like this. Um, and so you know, this rose up and I, I, what really got problematic is they sued them and it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled in something that we know as separate but equal. I mean, yes, you can segregate and be separate, but you have to give equal services. So you see many pictures of two drinking fountains, different places on the bus, different schools. You with me? Right. And in this whole time, um, and where the word Jim Crow came from is there was a famous actor doing stage work and he would paint his face black and then, uh, in a sense, do a, a, a skit, a show that was wildly popular, uh, mocking black people. That character's name, not the actor, but the character's name was Jim Crow. And that's where these Jim Crow laws terms come from. Okay, you with me? So in that, that hurt, anger, violence, pain, um, just boiled over. Hate was ruling in these moments. And Martin Luther King Jr. stepped up and he echoed the message that we are hearing from John. Right. And so what he said in one of his speeches is, where do we go from now? He said this, and this is a quote that I, my daughter, when she was a teenager, had this wall, you know, how teenage daughters do these different things. She says, okay, I'm going to have everybody I know write quotes on the, uh, my wall. So I went in there and I wrote John uh, 13, uh, 34, 35, right? A new commandment I give you, love one another, right? And then I wrote this quote by Martin Luther King. Uh, says, I've decided to 
to choose love because hate is too great of a burden to bear. What he's acknowledging, hate destroys not just cultures and societies, but people. Much what John just talked about. Look at the death of the person's spiritual life when hate is allowed to happen. What is the solution? Same thing John just said. You know, Martin Luther King said in my, one of my favorite books, uh, uh, The Strength to Love, it says this, is that the answer is this, is that, and I'm gonna misquote, I can just read it up here, is it up there? There you go. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. What's the answer? Light. The answer is light. The solution is light. If you counter hate with hate, you will just uh, expound on hate, right? And he knew that. <laughs> That's what John knew. He didn't say, okay, let's uh, create ourselves an army and let's go get them. John didn't say that, right? Walk in the light, walk in Jesus. Do that. Because that is such a counter powerful idea and thought. It is the greatest weapon the earth has ever known. Jesus, who is love, changed the world. He didn't use a weapon um, that we know of. He didn't create armies. What did he do? Love. He loved so radically, it changed the world. And Martin Luther King, John is talking about this. And then there's this last quote is, what are we supposed to do in that knowledge and information is the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. We have to act. Hate, neutral. Who cares? Not my problem. Is not an option if you want to walk in the light, walk with Jesus. Because the mission is people. At the other end of people that we might be dismissing, uh, not really care, we're neutral. Um, those are people that Jesus died for. He loves them. And he calls us into action. He calls us into action. That's what John is doing. He call us to action. You know, I got, this is a little name dropping, okay? I don't get a name drop. I don't know many people, but this is someone cool that I met. Uh, this is me. Um, and uh, this is Bernice King. That is Martin Luther King's youngest daughter. Um, and if you know something about me, I'm a little bit of a weasel. And so what I did, these are her last four books and she was doing a book signing. It's her mother's book that they published after her mother's death. Um, I waited, I, Sandy was I, I, like three and a half hours at the end of the line so I could, I wanted to talk to her. I didn't want to just sign a book and high five her. I wanted to talk to her. So I got the chance. Everyone's gone, she's exhausted. And she had to deal with Scott Harris, poor girl. Um, but I tell you what, to see um, through a, a daughter, through a young girl at the age, her eyes, that her father got assassinated because of hate. I mean, that changed how I looked at that assassination. Sometimes I just put it on history and look there, you know, where he got shot there in Memphis. And, uh, but to sit there and listen to a little girl tell me about when she heard that day. So, ooh, you just talk about, man, how high this has risen, what it was allowed to do, um, the danger of hate, right? Uh, she wrote this quote in the, in the book I have, uh, the dream lives, right? You know, and it's obviously a play on 
the famous speech, uh, I Have a Dream by her father. But why can the dream live? Because the source for Martin Luther King is greater than just his amazing intellect and his passion. First John was one of his favorite books. You'll hear him quote First John chapter five, probably more than any other verse. His favorite sermon is to love your enemies, right? But his favorite book was First John. Because Martin Luther King's source is the same source that we're hearing about right now. It's the scripture, God's word. It's Jesus, the light. And so the dream lives because the dream is truth. Right? And we have to take in all of our times and we have to mature into our calling. And that's what John does in the last portion of this. He makes a plea. Oh, it's a, eight times, I think he says, I am writing to you. He's pleading to mature. I'm writing, this is verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He is pleading to all of them, all physical stages of life, you know, children, young people, fathers, parents, I'm pleading with you to remember your spiritual journey. Remember Jesus and grow in him because this is hard and difficult. It is hard to love somebody that you don't care about, you, you disagree with, that is different than you. But he's calling us into that. It's hard to love somebody that would be defined as your enemy that's hurt you. It's hard. It's not easy. The only way we can do it is in Jesus. And John is just pleading with them to mature and grow. So I'm going to ask you a, a tough question. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out now. I want to ask you a hard question. You ready? Who do you hate? Use what John was talking about. Who are you disregarding? Who do you drive by without a care? Who will you not step toward because of their ideology? Who just annoys you? Who do you hate? Who you are neutral toward no preference? Force yourself. See that face. See that person. We all have them. What's the call? Right? What's the call? To walk in the light. Walk in Jesus who is good, who is right, who is known, who is seen. That's the answer. See, oftentimes, okay, if I'll just go be nice to those people. Now, here's the first step I want to give you. And it's a song we're going to sing in just a second. Uh, we're going to sing a song called Lead Me to the Cross. The first step is not go white knuckle, be nicer to people. Give an extra dollar. Or, you know, that's, the answer is the cross, right? Because until you understand the cost and the love that brings you to the light, to Jesus, you will never have the opportunity to love 
in a manner like Jesus. Right? So for you to understand that you are a sinner and you did not deserve grace and mercy and you'd understand the cost of your redemption, of Jesus on that cross crying out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Of carrying the burden of sin because he loves you. And he was demonstrating love. That's why one of our mission statements here, our vision statement is radically love one another. We do not want to love in our own strength in the way we can do it. We want to step into radical Jesus love. Love that blows our mind, blows the world's mind. Like, what is that? How can you love that person? How can you step into that? How can you do that? There's one answer. It's Jesus. And where I learned it is by reading about his cross for my sins, to free me, to redeem me. Because you love me, you wanted me to be in the light. When we get that and we walk in that, we got a shot to carry that into all these relationships. Right? Because we don't want any darkness over there, only light. And the greatest weapon the world has ever known, love. God is love. Jesus is love. They don't do love, they are that. Will transform and change the world change the world and he'll use you but it starts at the cross so I'm going to invite you to stand um, and um, let's just go we're going to have uh, people up here praying if you'd like to pray with anyone talk with anyone uh, but let's just step toward that cross together love you guys